Hi. However you landed here listening to this podcast, welcome. My name is Rosa Del Duca, and when I was 17 years old, I joined the Army National Guard. This was about a year before 9-11. I was excited and proud to be in the military and relieved that I'd found a way to pay for college. But a year or two after the attacks, with our country mired in an ugly war, I was depressed, ashamed, and filled with anxiety about playing a role in an organization I didn't trust and at that point wanted nothing more to do with. Eventually, I found out there was a name for what I was feeling. I was a conscientious objector. By this time, I'd been in the Guard about four years, but I had just signed a three-year contract extension with ROTC to delay a tour in Iraq. I tried to suck it up. I really, really did. But in the end, I made a stand against the war. I declared myself a conscientious objector to the Army and ROTC. The Army denied my application, but that's a story for another day. What I want to talk about in this inaugural episode of Breaking Cadence is naivete, youth, independence, and choice. It was really easy to join the military, and it was hell trying to get out. This period of my life was so fraught with competing feelings of being a traitor and yet also um, you know, being taken advantage of and then more guilt for thinking that I could be some kind of victim in something that I'd volunteered to do and promised to do. Competing feelings stacked onto each other. I spent years and years writing and rewriting the how and the why and the aftermath of my choices to try to explain it to the, you know, invisible everyone and also to myself. Um, It ended up becoming a book that's coming out in May of 2019 through Ooligan Press. I'm really, really excited. And I've always admired podcasts and secretly wanted to make one. So when Ooligan suggested that I take some of the topics in the book and expand on them in that format, I started brainstorming right away. I've mapped out a mini-season of conversations related to being a member of the military while disagreeing wholeheartedly with what the government and military are doing. So I hope you stick around for at least a few episodes of Breaking Cadence, Insights from a Modern Day Conscientious Objector. For this first episode, I'm inviting you to time travel with me. I want to set the stage, and then I'm going to ask my mom and my two sisters about what they remember from when I told them I wanted to join. This is a window into my personal pursuit of why, but I know we all have moments like this. Regrets, choices we made that years later, we pick at the why and the how like a worry knot. And this is a choice that tens of thousands of young Americans make every year. Some of the new recruits, like me, will be faced with the same choice as they evolve into adults with a more complex, unfiltered view of the world. Either watch your morals and ethics be trampled by the machine or break cadence. I want those young recruits to know as much as they feel completely alone, they're not. There is a long history of conscientious objection in this country and a long history of support for war resistors. So here goes nothing. Strap in for the ride. It's October of the year 2000. If you turn on the radio, it's a lot of Vertical Horizon, Faith Hill, Three Doors Down, Destiny's Child, Eminem. At the movie theater, it's Gladiator and Requiem for a Dream and Castaway. 
Bill Clinton is the president for a little while longer. Al Gore and George Bush are in the final weeks of their presidential campaigns. The stock market is going gangbusters. It's the peak of the dot-com bubble. Steve Jobs has just introduced the public beta of the Mac operating system. The United Nations designated the year 2000 the International Year for the Culture of Peace, with the aim of celebrating and encouraging peace across the globe. Here's what you need to know about me in October of the year 2000. I'm a pretty good kid. Yeah, I dye my hair crazy colors sometimes, and occasionally experiment with alcohol, and roll my eyes at rules that seem authoritarian, but I'm on track to be valedictorian of my little school, I play sports year-round, I'm involved in FFA, student government, band, choir, I write articles for the town newsletter, I'm kind of a brown noser and overachiever. I consider myself a tomboy, I like being tested against guys, I have a strong sense of independence, I think I'm pretty damn smart, even though I'm painfully ignorant and naive right down to not knowing what really makes someone a Democrat or Republican. I'm also determined to find a way to pay for college myself. Growing up, money was tight. As in, we were on welfare, and us girls got free lunches at school and bought most of our clothes at Goodwill. Not that I minded. I had a fairly happy childhood, despite my dad not being in the picture, and despite later having an evil stepdad. When my mom divorced that evil stepdad, she had to declare bankruptcy because he racked up debt on their credit card, and then he declared bankruptcy. So my mom kept warning me that if I wanted to go to college in a year, she couldn't help, no matter how much she wanted to. Cue the Army National Guard recruiter. this close? (sighs) That's my mom. A lot has changed in her life since I joined, and a lot hasn't. She still lives in eastern Montana, but she's much better off. She bought a house in Laurel, about half an hour from the school, where she works with troubled kids and kids who have gotten in trouble. I don't remember exactly how I told you, but I must have come home from school and said that I wanted to join the the National Guard and that I needed a co-signer and all that stuff. So what, what did you think of that i was completely surprised (laughs) i was like what rosa (laughs) following orders from somebody else that's not gonna happen (laughs) and i remember talking to your older sister laura about that and she thought the same thing yeah i remember talking to mom about it too that's my older sister allura she's a teacher too in oregon she jumps around a lot from second to third grade and is also a master gardener, avid hiker, voracious reader, and fantastic mother. She has a daughter who just turned 12. I think she said that you wanted to do it, and I was like, what? And she was like, well, you know Rosa, she's really impulsive, and the more I say, no, you shouldn't, the more she's just going to get bullheaded and want to do it. But it's not like I was a rebel. No, but you were just very... um very impulsive and kind of pig-headed, or should I say opinionated, very highly opinionated. And I just, yeah, it just didn't seem to fit in with your personality. And you had never, ever, ever talked about wanting to do something like that. So it was just like, 
out of the blue. But like I was a good kid and stuff. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, not, it's not like I was pigheaded in a way of like flaunting all authority. No, and... no, no, no. It's just like, I can't even remember specifics, but I just remember, if, you know, you, you would argue about stuff and just stick to your guns. And so I could just like <laughs> picture you being told to do something and then you starting to argue with the drill sergeant and... <laughs> <laughs> and then, then you'd be, you know, the next picture is you in the bathroom with a toy, with a toothbrush <laughs> scrubbing the floor. <laughs> but I also thought that you would change your mind because you, um, you can be impulsive about your opinions, and then after a few days, you can totally change them. And after you've had time to think about it, and that's why I, I told you to think about it for two weeks before deciding for sure because i i was absolutely like uh close to 100 percent sure if not 100 percent sure you would change your mind i do remember having a conversation with you then i think it was before the two weeks was up and i think i did have another conversation with you when you finally decided yeah, like, do you remember anything about those conversations? Mm-hmm. Like, do, well, yeah, oh, yeah. Tell, tell me all about it. So I remember you, the first time, I, I mean, I don't remember completely word for word anything, but I remember when you told me, I was like, are you, are you serious? And you were like, yes, you know, they've got all these great benefits and, you know, I'm going to get, they'll pay for college. And I said, well, yeah, but what if we go to war? And you were like, oh, no, National Guard does not go to war. And and I said, well, think about Afghanistan. I mean, there are National Guard troops over there, I thought. No, that, that had not happened yet. But Afghanistan had happened. No, it had no, not. No, oh, the Gulf War, that's what I mean. The Gulf War. We, in 93. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there were National Guard troops that went to the Gulf. All right, now I don't mean to nitpick Alura's interview, but let's remember that 9-11 hadn't happened, so no Afghanistan, no Iraq. Some National Guard troops did serve in the Gulf War, which was a seven-month operation, and we got the date wrong. It was from August of 1990 to February of 1991, so a full 10 years before I made my decision to join. So that's what I, I was, uh, referenced that, and you were like, well, that was just one time because it was crazy, and you said, no, National Guard is only for like natural, natural disasters in your state. You don't ever have to leave your state. And, and I said, well, that's, you know, that would be nice if you could do that, but I mean, aren't you afraid about that possibility? And you were just completely sold on the fact that nobody, no National Guard people ever went out of their state to do anything unless it was a national, like a natural disaster. So I, I remember thinking, well, you know, well, what are you going to do? I mean, what, uh, what would happen if you, you know, you did get called up and you're like, well... Number one, you had all these reasons lined out. Like, women aren't allowed at the front. I would be able to do a job that, you know, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be dangerous. And um, I just, I told you, well, I think that's kind of a gamble. But you also referenced the fact that you really wanted to get out of the house. Like, you saw that as your way out. You had this whole list of bullet points about why you thought it was good. And you really didn't want to hear, like, you really brushed off, let me put it that way, you brushed off any, like, concerns. So when I didn't change my mind, then what did you think? Uh, Then it was this whole kind of 
Mm. Oh, I had to think in my head, like, what would happen if I refused? Then she's going to be mad and she'll just be that much more determined to, I'll show you when I turn 18, I can't, I don't need your signature. And, and so that you would be annoyed with me as well as even that much more set on doing it. So I thought, well, in six months she can do this herself and she doesn't need my signature. So that's what she really wants then I'll sign it one note here yes the military does require a co-signer when you're 17 I also already thought of you as an adult because you'd already been you know going to Missoula for the summers to work you were very independent um, in, in a lot of ways and I always felt that all you girls were more like adults when you turned about 16 and we're very responsible. When you heard that the contract, though, was six years, did that surprise you? Or Yeah, I thought it was would be a four-year thing, and I thought maybe there was even an option for two years. <laughs> but, um, yeah... Well, the other thing was that we we both thought it was something where you would never be sent overseas for combat. We thought it was going to translate more into firefighting in Montana. That, to me, sounded like, you know, well, maybe a little dangerous, but still, you know, something important that needs to be done and um, and worthwhile, you know. And I knew that they did other things, um, emergency situations, whether it was a natural disaster or some kind of <clears throat> uprising or just monitoring a big peace demonstration or something like that. I do remember things a little bit more like my mom, like being kind of excited at the idea of fighting forest fires or responding to some kind of natural disaster. Uh, my sister remembers it differently, though. I don't remember anyone challenging me, challenging me on the war aspect too hard at all because it was just so, so like not a concern in in your mind, maybe. No, I, in in America. America, like it was such well, a different time. Maybe it's partly because I knew people, like I knew people who had been in the National Guard who had gone to the Gulf War. Who? Chris. Who? Eric's brother-in-law. Eric was my sister's boyfriend at the time. They ended up getting oh, really? married. Yeah. And and so I knew that it happened. And he had, like, he still has health problems from it. Um, like, carpal tunnel. And, like, he has said he has respiratory issues and things. I didn't know him very well at that time at all. And I really don't know him very well now. But, um, yeah. And I knew, like, other people that I'd talked to. I don't know. I think I also didn't think about the fact that oh yeah it's a real really secure possibility but I thought it was something that I wouldn't want to gamble on and I remember asking you like all right what happens if it does like yeah well maybe it's not even a big precedent now but what would happen if that you know something changed once you're in there and you sign those things and you're kind of screwed 
Before we get too deep, I do want to bring in my little sister, Layla. She was 15, 14 when I joined the Guard. Checkity check, checkity check, checkity check. I know which microphone is mine now. You do it too. You do it too. (laughs) Checkity, checkity check, checkity check, 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 check. We got a microphone. Okay, I think we got it. All right, you probably guessed, but Layla and I are total goofballs when we get together. There's just something in the atmosphere that makes us a little wacky. We used to do these radio shows when we were kids, and uh, we did a lot of trying to edit out all the laughing. Three in a row on your favorite show with Slim and Fast on 92 Kazillion point five. <laughs> I love you so. I know I said some things that were wrong, but I don't want you to go along. I want you to come back because I don't have anything to do. Bark ran away the bark ran That said, Layla is also a thoughtful and serious person. A little about her life now, she's a successful comic book artist living in Portland at the moment. Her first big break in the industry came a few years ago with Shudder from Image Comics. Since then, she's written her own comic, Afar, drawn Sleepless, and is now working on something very, very awesome, but it's still a secret, so I can only hint at its wonderfulness. All right. Well, I think what I remember most is... I don't remember talking that much and I don't remember that time with you very clearly. I feel like uh, you were kind of wrapped up in your own school stuff and I was wrapped up in my own misery. Uh, And so I don't, I just don't remember. And also it's just like, there's so many years between then and now, and you remember it more clearly than me because you, you've had to focus on this time in your life a little bit more. So I unfortunately don't have that many memories back then all i remember is how crappy it was living under our bleep blop our, our bleep blop <laughs> stepfather's <laughs> reign and uh how uh, how sad we were both and bleep blop is what we're gonna call um our evil stepfather who we had when we were in uh middle school and high school uh, my mom ditched him a year or two before my senior year my dad who split up with my mom right before layla was born he just wasn't wasn't a big part of our lives. I do remember being proud of you and not really knowing what to think because I didn't know much about the army. And I I think I do remember you reassuring us that it was just the National Guard, that you weren't going to get deployed ever, that you're just going to stay on home turf and uh, just kind of like take care of people in our country and that you weren't going to ever be at risk of dying in combat. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds great. What a great way for a poor girl to make some money to go to college and then be free of it in six years. I didn't think it was anything bad about it. So I was like, yay, my sister is going to be going to school in Missoula, Montana, which is just on the other side of the state. And she'll only be gone to uh, do army stuff once in a while, like 
I'll see her still. I think it surprised Mom and Allura and everybody else because military history doesn't run in our family. Like, we didn't know anyone who served. Like, uh, you're a very ambitious person, and I've known that for, for forever. And so it seemed almost logical in hindsight for you to do it, whether oh, or so not I remember saw, that. So you saw joining as, like, being an almost an out-of-the-box, like, rule-breaker decision. Like, well, if I can't find a traditional way to pay for college, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah, you were just doing what you thought was going to work best and with your own financial means and you don't want to rely on anyone this was a way to be even more independent and you've always been really um, athletic which is another aspect that didn't surprise me about the decision let's go back to my mom for a sec because not only was she surprised but she didn't like that i wanted to so join i the military. would consider you kind of a pacifist and an environmentalist i think you said at one point that it bothered you it bothered you that i join the military I think I'm I guess mixed feelings would be the best thing like impressed that you wanted to do something that I th- I thought would be very very difficult like it's not some not only something that I might be not inclined to do but also something that I would never think that I could get through boot camp I the physical part um I myself just I don't, I would never think that that was something that I could do, (laughs) get through. Well, not only that, just the mental, like I, I could not deal with that military mentality. Uh, I just, it just made no sense to me. I'd heard like, oh, you have to break down the person to build them up. And it's like, why? The Native Americans never did that. They were had fierce warriors they didn't have a drill sergeant if this native american stuff seems out of the blue my parents spent a few years on reservations when they were young i was actually born on a navajo reservation in arizona later my dad lived on a crow reservation in montana they both seemed to really respect and admire the way native cultures operated it's like they and they also they had more independence as to whether they were going to go on a raid or whatever of course, when somebody's coming to raid their village, they're going to um, defend it. And that's not a hard choice. Uh, so I, I, I really didn't see. I, I just have a lot of uh, negative feelings about how the military is run. if I had talked to someone like Chris who had um, done a, a tour and had some repercussions because of it Honestly, that it would have affected me at all? No. I don't think so at all. You, Your personality is the, such that I think mom was right. I mean I don't think any amount of time. Like You do make quick decisions and you don't usually listen to other people's opinions very much. You kind of see yourself as especially back then as it won't happen to me. Like, I have it figured out, and I'm a smart person, and I know what I'm doing, and that won't be a problem. Like, it doesn't matter if other people have you'll be like, well, that's them. That's not me. So I really don't. I think you had it. It's, like Mom says, like, super spontaneous. 
you got your mindset on it, you were going to do it. Do you think that me talking to someone and even someone who had been called up and like, or, or just have trying to have some hard conversations would have changed my mind? Um, I, I think depending on the person, if it was somebody who, um, you know, had a positive experience that would just convince you even more. If it was somebody who had a negative experience or, you know, some other brought up some other things, or if we knew that, um, national guard was, uh, troops were often sent overseas, uh, and that it was very highly likely that that would happen, I think that would have changed your mind as well. Um, Dad was in World War II. He and his brother Bob were the only people I knew. And they weren't well, soldiers. They were they were engineers, right? They were, well, they were with the Seabees. Yeah, they were in the Seabees. And then, well, I did know, like, my best girlfriend, her dad was a, he was a colonel, but he was a psychiatrist, so, you know, there was no combat um, stories, you know, on his, on that part. And, and again, uh, another girlfriend's father was a colonel. He, all I knew about, you know, his service was working at, I think, a commissary. So those were my experiences. No battle stuff. Dad's experience was that planes flew over once or twice and there was some shooting and that was it. Otherwise, he was, you know, helping to build barracks and things like that. Do you still think that I'm really impulsive? Um, Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I kind of am the same way too. I'm fast. I'm a fast thinker and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. Like I feel like I evaluate things pretty quickly and then I make a quick decision. Like I make a decision and um, I've learned from certain other people like Eric, super slow thinker. Like and to me, I feel like uh, he, he never makes a decision it almost seems like he's like those are all the points here these are all the points here and steve's kind of like that too eric is Alura's ex-husband who she has her steve daughter with a long time and steve is her these, longtime boyfriend these are the options on this side these are the options here deliberates a while before doing something where so yeah. i think you're you're like that too you just you think about something it sounds good you can think of all the reasons and you go for it yeah no when uh when nick and i buy a new computer this is exactly yeah, or difference in personality. I go to Best Buy and I look for maybe 20 minutes <laughs> and I buy a computer. That's me too. Yeah. And Nicholas uh, researches for about two weeks mm-hmm. and ways and ways and ways. And then he'll buy a computer. Yeah. Buying a computer yeah. and signing a six-year contract with the National Guard, like those are two really think- different things. I don't know though. Like I think you th- com- I, I I think that there's it's just like the method of doing things. It's like buying a car. I think we're we're kind of programmed like you and I, I don't know. Um I think we're kind of programmed to be like, okay, we need something that's going to do this, this and this for us. If it works and it meets all those, we we do it. 
And I think you were looking for a way to get out of the house, have a job, and and pay for college. And, pay for college. and it's like those met all the all those criteria, and so that's what you were gonna do. And you know, say like buying a car or something like that. I need a car that does this, this, and this, and this. And and I think our minds also kind of work with the way with like um. Like, yeah, that car, we do a little bit of research on the, you know, the make and model, but sometimes they still, you know, there are lemons in every type. And so you're taking a gamble either way. And I think that is kind of how you think about that or you thought about that too. It's like, I think you were thinking, well, yeah, it might be a little bit of a risk, but chances are probably not. happened we were both at the U of M mm-hmm. and I remember just it did not even cross my mind at that point that that could affect me maybe a day or maybe even two days after you I didn't have a TV mm-hmm. so I came over to your house and we were watching the news um, and you asked me so like are you are you called up now yeah I remember I remember thinking that like the first time I saw it actually cuz I went to school that day like 9/11 like normal when I was walking through the the UC um like that common area and they had all those TVs out and I think yeah I I just remember seeing all that and I don't remember what kind of triggered it. I don't know if somebody, if there was some sort of mention about the National Guard being called in to help with cleaning up or like one of the news reporters made some mention of it. But I remember thinking you're in, you know, this is a national security issue now. And I remember thinking that you might get called up. And I didn't even, I think when I said that I wasn't thinking you're going to be called up overseas, I was thinking, oh, you might be called to go to you know, New York or, you know, wherever, Washington, one of those places. And I did remember thinking that you, I was kind of surprised at how that hadn't crossed your mind yet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and that did, it took you saying that for me to be like, oh, when I thought about it, I was like, no, well, that's what the Nas- New York National Guard is for. And I'm not even fully trained because mm-hmm. at that point, you know, I'd gone to boot camp that summer before but I didn't finish it because I got mono and they sent me home so mm-hmm. I hadn't even been through boot camp yet yeah and then when I thought about it even more I was like oh well if this if they do need help and they start calling other National Guard troops up I wonder if they're gonna rush me through boot camp in my training so I can go not that that was something I would have disagreed with I was driving to work and listening to this on the radio and then I got to work and the t you know someone had a tv on and we're looking at it and so I was pretty much absorbed with that along with everybody else, kind of watching what was going on. And then I panicked when I heard that a plane went down in Pennsylvania because I thought, well, it could be near Philadelphia. That's the largest city. And mom lives right outside of Philadelphia. So that's what I thought of. And I also thought that, well, you know, Bev, my sister, lives in middle Pennsylvania. So I ran to a room and I said, and I said, where in Pennsylvania? And then I 
we found out where it was it wasn't near them so that I think was on my mind I wasn't even because at that point too I I didn't know they sent National Guard troops overseas to anything so that I that wasn't even on my radar I went to school in Fromberg and all I don't think we found out until like the second class period and then when we did find out some terrible terrorist attack happened we weren't getting that much information from our teachers but we weren't getting any work done because we were, were like no you have to tell us what's going on and then finally in in ag class um we got to sit and just talk about it the whole class but they still didn't let us watch it on television i remember they specifically did not let us turn on the news or watch anything or like listen to the radio or, or whatever and i was I remember being really furious because something huge and awful was happening and we were in the dark about it and I felt like it was really rude to the students to treat us like we were stupid and like we didn't deserve to know about it. But do you think that they were trying to protect you because you were just kids, you were teenagers, you were minors? I do think so, but we were in high school and I knew in my heart that I was mature enough to take that um because of what happened later in the day of course too is I go on (laughs) to watch the news and all this terrible crap's happen and of course I cry but but that um I can forget the name of the teacher but he was awesome because he let us talk about our feelings Hmm. and like what it meant and that meant a lot to me and I think that the rest of my classmates as well People were jumping out of a building to their deaths because they would rather do that than burn to death or whatever. And that's just awful to think about in, in general. And then just so, so much death and like confusion involved. Yeah, I really felt that pretty hard. I like how Layla puts it, feeling it hard. We all did. That's why we all remember where we were, what we were doing that day. That's why hundreds, if not thousands of young people walked into recruiting offices the next day. Feeling it, letting emotion rule, played a big role in how in the months that followed, we began a war against an idea, terror, in two countries. At least, that's the explanation that makes the most sense to me. I was kind of dumbstruck as I watched President Bush kick weapons inspectors out of Iraq before they'd completed what they'd come to do, dumbstruck as he declared war against the advice of experts and diplomats and protesters across the globe, baffled when he declared mission accomplished almost immediately after combat operations started. I know all too well what my army story sounds like so far. It sounds like I joined for all the wrong reasons. And that's exactly what the investigating officer, charged with handling my conscientious objector case, accused me of years later. Yes, I was looking for a way to pay for college. It's the number one reason why I joined. But that doesn't mean I wasn't proud to wear the uniform at first. I was. I liked getting gas on my way home from drill that first year, just because I liked how civilians looked at me wearing that uniform. And you know what? College is the number one reason why a lot of people joined and still join. The deal was set up that way. 
75% of tuition, and a $6,000 signing bonus for National Guard recruits. It's still set up this way, a give and take. I was just naive enough to think that America had evolved past the point of warmongering, of shooting first and asking questions later, that I wouldn't be expected to throw my moral compass out the window when I put my uniform on. Like a lot of impulsive, opinionated, inexperienced teens do, I made a decision I ended up regretting. In this case, I chose the wrong job. But unlike working for a neighbor, or a small business, or a corporation, I couldn't quit. Unlike choosing the wrong college or the wrong major, I couldn't transfer out. Unlike buying a car, gonna disagree with you here, Allura, I couldn't sell that car and get a different one. I couldn't even get out from behind the wheel until my six years were up. When I finally confronted my deep misgivings about being in the army, and more specifically, the army fighting two unjust wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, when I finally put my foot down and said, no, I'm not going to play any kind of role in this war, I had to tell my family. With my mom, I didn't just need to let her in on what I'd been keeping secret, but I needed her to write a letter of support for my conscientious objector application. And with my sisters, we've always been close. We don't keep secrets from each other for long. Even though it was my family, who I knew cared about me and loved me and would support me, uh, I was nervous. It was something that I dreaded talking about and admitting, because on the one hand, while I knew it was right to stand up against these wars, I didn't feel right walking out on everyone else in uniform, and I knew that I would be judged really harshly. I mean, what was your reaction when I told you that? Um, I, yeah, that, that again kind of surprised me, but, um, cause I don't think you, you hadn't shared much of that with me, but it didn't like, it wasn't a huge surprise in some ways because <laughs> I remember when, when I, uh, your aunt Bev and I went to see you graduate from boot camp, and we <laughs> took you out to eat. And <laughs> like the first thing you said when you sat down was, "I hate the army," and I told you to <laughs> to you later, and you didn't even remember it. And I just looked at you and laughed, and I said, "What?" <laughs> I said that. Where where yes. did you take me out to eat? I, th- I I didn't think we were allowed to leave base. No, it was after everything, right? Like before you we're done and i think right before we dropped you off at the airport oh tell me more (laughs) so yeah we took we watched your graduation and all and even talked to some general i think because you had done so well and blah 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 and he he gave me his coin yeah you gathered your stuff and we took you out i don't know if it was dinner or lunch because i don't remember the time of day um before dropping you off at the airport so (laughs) went to this restaurant we sat down and <laughs> he said, I think you gave some big sigh and you're like, I hate the army. <laughs> and I was like, I just, you just went through boot camp. You were, you know, honored in these different ways and had done super well. And you're saying, I hate the army. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, that's Rosa. <laughs> 
you just never know that's so funny because that was like the height of my feeling good about the army too is like you know yeah i kicked boot camp's ass you know i mean like of course there's a ton of stuff that you don't like you don't like you know all the crap Mm -hmm. they put you through in boot camp but maybe i wonder if that's what i meant i when i asked you why did you why did you say that? Or, you know, why? <laughs> you know, I don't remember what came afterward, but you had some kind of explanation of something. I don't know if something just really annoyed you that maybe it was not a general statement as as in not, you know, hating the whole thing or just something that annoyed you that it or, had happened that day. I don't know. Or maybe just like because I was free and I got to sit down when I wanted and order and eat what I wanted or something. Or maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe you've been wanting to say that for a long time. <laughs> but I couldn't. I couldn't and say it out loud if I was it in until there until you were off, off the base. Oh my god, that's hilarious and really sad at the same time. Yeah. But so when I called you, I knew what conscientious objector was. I was very familiar with that term. Right. But it was very different from a conscientious objector, say, in Vietnam, where you burned your draft card and you said you were a conscientious objector. I thought you had to to be a conscientious, that you had to do it before you joined. So I did, I think I asked. I think I asked something about that. Like, you can do that when you're still in there? And you explained, yeah, you can. I was like, sure, whatever you need. And I know that it had taken you a lot of time to to let me know. I, I You knew that I was proud of you and, you know, what you'd done. And, well, of course, well, it's like, who wouldn't be proud of somebody doing well in boot camp? Why would you not, you know, not be proud? So I was proud of whatever you did because you did it well. And I remember telling you that I said, whatever you do, you do well. So I'm supportive of that. So if you do not want to be in the army anymore, then I support that. But, and did you feel how like, unpopular that choice would be though in that political climate yes i knew that a lot of people would you know look down on that um by this time you know like i had a co-worker who was um in the he was also in the national guard and he was talking about actually wanting to go overseas and and he actually did years later um, went to Afghanistan. Yeah, I knew that, but I just feel like everybody has to make their own decision, do what they think is best for them. And if somebody does, this is you, that's their problem, not yours. I was all for it. I didn't want you to be deployed. I was like, I don't believe in war either. I think like war is bullshit. Uh, and I don't want you to die. And I don't want you to have to like put yourself in really awful emotional situations or be part of this thing that I knew both of us never really wanted to be in. So I was all for it. Didn't you, did you ever feel like even a little bit embarrassed or ashamed that I 
joined the military and then was like wanted to be like see ya you go fight the war i don't want to oh no not at all i don't believe anyone should fight against their will i don't think anyone should take a life against their will and that's what they were going to ask you to do essentially like you never know maybe they wouldn't have but it was still kind of like contributing to the war machine that and especially like at that time i was like no war at all ever there's no reason for it whatsoever and (laughs) um i was too young and i didn't really know politics of anything so around that time i was absolutely like yeah everyone should drop their weapons and go and be peaceful (laughs) so yeah i i didn't i was not ashamed at all i was just like really happy for you that or i was worried not happy for you i was just really worried that they wouldn't let you go and that you would be forced to go over there i thought it was a little bit of trying to get out of something that you had agreed to and i I really never thought that you should have been in the army in the first place. And I thought that you'd rushed into it and you didn't want to listen to anybody. Um, and then you're kind of then not willing to live with the consequences of it. But I also didn't want you actually in the military. So I, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I was glad that you were going to get out, but I also... I guess when I put it myself in that position, I wouldn't have done the same thing. Like, I think I, I felt like, you know, you'd done it for a while. And then, like, the fact that you got into ROTC, too, I felt like even solidified it even more. So I almost thought, like, you were, I don't know what the right word would be. Being dishonest. Yeah, I was saying dishonorable was going to be my word, slightly. Not honoring your word, I guess. Like, I felt like maybe you had been pushed into a corner and it was your last way out. And I thought that it wasn't really being a, you know, an honorable person to do that. And I still do have a lot of guilt about that because I think that was the what the typical American would think of me is that I am trying to get out of it, being not, you know, being untrustworthy, like my word doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything are you saying that you believe that the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were just and necessary then? No, not at all. That's what the thing is. Is like I, I did not ever I – w- I didn't agree with being in the military. And so I think when I – and maybe just those few years older that I was from you, like I knew more about the Gulf War. I thought that was wrong. I thought a lot of other things were wrong. And so – but I, I think I knew more, like, and I actually knew some people who'd been in the Gulf War. I would never have even considered being in the military. And so for me, when you were saying, like, National Guard, I, I associated that with military. And the whole thought processes of the military, military-industrial complex stuff, all of that to me was so distasteful. And, um, like, the mentality behind it, the, like, good old boys thing, the machoism... I just couldn't stand any of that. And so the fact that you wanted to be allied with, you know, you wanted to be part of that at first and then later decided not, that was the part that I was kind of like, well, I never would have gotten myself in that situation because I would have never gotten in the National Guard to begin with. I didn't agree with any of the war stuff. 
but I felt like when you were entering the war, like entering the National Guard, you were saying, well, I'm all right with what that's connected with. You were saying, I'm all right with uh, whatever whatever the U.S. government decides when to you do, s- even if they start a war. Yeah, that- when you sign a contract to be in the armed services, that's what I feel like you're saying. You're saying, I give up my personal opinions because that's what you have to do to be in the military. Like, to be in the military, you are listening to somebody else tell you what to do. You don't like those orders. Like, you don't know what they are. You're just supposed to follow them. And that's why I would never get into that because I I felt like you're giving up your rights to think if you go in the military. Like, don't you have to sign something that says, like, you're not going to question orders. You're going to follow orders. I mean, I see what you're saying, but no, there's not a piece of paper that says yeah. you're not supposed to follow an order you see as really wrong, which is why... I felt like because I didn't, you know, this was a fabricated war based on lies. You know, it was a conscientious objection. Like, I don't think what you're doing is right. Now you've started a civil war in another country. Tens of thousands of civilians over there were getting killed. So, I don't know. I I don't understand how, like, in order to be in the military... I don't think you could question most things because you're if you disagree with something that they ask you to do I think you're going to have consequences. Yeah. And, and so and you I just did. you can't, you know. So even though you disagreed with what our country was doing, you thought that I was kind of traitorous to get out of my military role? It wasn't traitorous. I didn't really care at all about. I felt like you were being I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it's if you look at it in a like a smaller, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like you tell somebody you're going to babysit, and then you back out of it. I that's mean, that's a super, it's a super thing. different. But <laughs> if you know, if somebody's depending on you and you say you're not going to, I, I mean, that's a poor example. But I felt like when it worked for you, you were okay with it, and then when something didn't work for you, you weren't willing to take the other side like the repercussions of it like i we'd all brought up to you look you could get called up you could be in a you know you could be in a war and you just kind of scoffed at it and then you're like no that won't ever happen then when it did happen you're like oh wait never mind and so there's a whole i told you so aspect to this um no what it has to do with is learning the hard way i guess for me it's kind of like well what if everybody did that? Like if everybody signed up for, you know, the army and then as soon as we actually went to war, they're like, oh, never mind. Well, yeah. What if we did that? What if it was a war that was really unpopular and that a lot of people didn't uh, think was right? Would that be a terrible thing if the people who didn't want to fight in a war that they saw as wrong could get out and not fight in it? I think that we shouldn't even have an army then. And if we have, a, if there's like a need and people feel like they need to go fight something because it's going to be a problem for us, that's when you call up and create an army. So you believe in the draft? No, I mean like don't have an army, period. Don't have a standing army, period. And then if there is some threat, but that, that's take volunteers. Oh, are you saying saying have the draft, but have it only be an all volunteer draft mm-hmm. when something happens? Yeah, if something, yeah, if something happened. I mean, I'm not saying. I know this is a weird for hypothetical. sure, but yeah, 
I think for you, like this was the one, my take on it, is that you had this idea about what you were going to do. And, you know, you saw yourself as like going out there and fighting fires and being heroic and, you know, going and using sandbags if there was a flood. And those are all dangerous things, too. And you would definitely be contributing, you know, to our community in a way that doesn't hurt others, but you'd be helping others. And and through that, you would get a lot of, you know, you got a scholarship or, you know, college paid for. You'd have, you know, a certain amount of money and... I think you were willing to put yourself at risk through those things that were benefiting others. But then when it came time to the other part of the, you know, agreement and you were asked to risk your life for things that you, you know, didn't agree with, then, you know, you kind of put it off for a while with ROTC and then you decided to do the conscientious objector. And I don't know, I guess for me, I'd be wondering like, well, were there other options? Like, could you have said look, I don't like that. Could you put me in a certain way? You know, put me in a place where I am just helping or doing humanitarian things through the army or... Well, there's two kinds of CO. There's one where, yeah, you're in a role combat, you know, like you're working in an office, you're a cook, you're a this, you're a that. But at that point, I just felt like I didn't want to be part of the... The, the wars, the machine at all mm-hmm. in any way, because yeah. it was all contributing to something that I didn't think was right. Yeah. You know, if I was a cook, I, you know, if I was a fueler, I'm literally fueling the machines, fueling the people who I didn't think should be fighting that war. And yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with it in any way at that point. But yeah, I could have said, or not a non-combat, but you know, non yeah. I guess for me, it was like you had signed a contract and not fulfilling the contract I felt was, you know, part of it is like there's always, especially I think with governmental jobs, there are parts of it that are like as a teacher, there are a lot of things I disagree with that. Yeah, I but think you can have, quit that job whenever you want. I could. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's part of a larger system that I don't agree with either. Listening to this back again is exhausting. I recorded Alora's interview last, and after talking with her and hearing what she really thought of that choice, it brought this state of extreme emotional vulnerability back again. If this is what someone who is open-minded and pretty liberal, someone who loves me and you know, my, my own sister, uh, if this is what she thinks of me, then what do conservatives think? What do old, other soldiers think? think i have a pretty good idea and on one hand i don't care on the other hand it stings like hell to be judged by people not in my shoes who didn't experience what i did and it's hard to have any hope about future ceos escaping some of the unfair stigma for me it goes back to being recruited so young and so optimistic about your future i don't know how Alura ended up being so cynical so early growing up in the 90s but to write the entire military off as a bunch of robots with bad intentions seems extreme. What really hurts is Allura read my book. I wanted to make sure my family was okay with everything in there, so she knows how I struggled with this very thing for years. Honor my word, go to war, fulfill my contract, or take a moral stand against the war. 
I do get one concession from her after all that. So in some ways, I think it's quite commendable that you were just saying, yeah, I don't agree with it at all. I'm not going to do it at all. And you went and found something totally different to do. And I'm going to leave it there. One, I don't think it's fair to Allura to pick apart her interview too much after the fact. And two, being a CO, that's what you sign up for. You agree to be judged by all sides and to have to explain your position again and again. It's your job to have conversations like this. Speaking of conversations, this is just the beginning. You have reached the end of episode one of Breaking Cadence. Thank you to my mom and my sisters for candid interviews and putting up with the telling of this story in yet another format. Thanks also to Mike Carnahan for audio advice. Thanks to Nicholas Leiter, my husband, for a myriad of things. Thank you, thank you. And to Jason Baum for being a first listener. Gratitude to the Ooligan Hooligans for suggesting this in the first place. You can find out more about me and Breaking Cadence the Book at rosadelduca.com or ooligan.pdx.edu. Coming up next? What happens after that? Like, nothing. Like, I'll probably be a server or a bartender for, like, this many years. I was thinking about using, you know, the, the military as, like, a stepping stone. I interview fellow conscientious objector Fanny Garcia. We got orders that we were going to deploy. I think that's when it, I was just like, I, I don't know if I can do this. She declared herself a CO nearly a decade after me, but our stories are eerily similar. I think that's part of being like a CEO and a part of the experience is standing up for like your own voice because that's something that the military takes away from you. It's all on episode two of Breaking Cadence, Insights from a Modern Day Conscientious Objector. 